Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, Damon Martin, and I am back for the attack with my main guy here now. Now that he's co-hosting the show full-time, I can actually introduce him every week. He is the immortal Matt Brown. Matt, what's going on? Man, um, busy days, you know? That's what it is, but that's a good thing. I think you just said a minute ago that when the calls stop coming in, that's when you got to really worry. Yeah, when my phone stops ringing for, like, an entire day, I'm like, all right, what did I do? Like, is there some controversy going on I don't know about? Like, did people just forget right. about me? Because, yeah, I don't I don't generally go more than, like, two hours without a text message, much less, like, a whole day. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Now we're back officially with the co-hosting role. Uh, we, we, we're doing this uh, on a full-time basis now. So, see, you got a whole other commitment now. Yeah, which is great, man. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun doing our thing together. Oh, we've done it on and off for pretty long time anyway so you <laughs> might as well be committed to it and just do it regularly do it consistently and give people a good show man and get some good insight into the world of mma yeah absolutely and, and combat sports because last week we talked about jake paul and anderson silva turns out we were both wrong uh we both pick anderson but i will say this if you go back and listen to the episode last week you and i both said we picked anderson but we were 100% saying it depended on how Anderson fought. And guess what? Anderson did exactly what we said we were worried about, where he was taking rounds off a little bit. He was playing around a little bit. Now, let me be clear. Credit where credit is due to Jake Paul. Jake did a great job. Jake did a, did a really good job. He showed a yeah. lot of improvements in that fight. So I don't want to tell I'm not discrediting him. But I'm just saying you and I both were worried about how Anderson would go in there and how, you know, active he would be. Would he attack? Would he, would he, you know, be really, you know, would, would he be aggressive? Yeah. He did, but only in spurts. He would do it like the last 30 seconds of a round or he would do it in like, you know, combinations. Yeah. It, that's what we talked about. That's what worried us about that fight. Yeah. And uh, Anderson has been known to do that even in the prime of his career, right? Like that's just the way that he is. So, um, there was no doubt that there was a question that he could do that now. And uh, like you said, you got to give credit where credit's due, man. 
if Anderson beat the hell out of Jake Paul the whole time or knocked him out or something, we would absolutely be putting Jake Paul down, saying, see, we told you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but that's not what happened. So you have to give the credit where credit's due. Maybe Anderson really gave it his all. Maybe he really tried. I don't think he did. But, um, you know, you can't t- you, you you have to assume that both the guys are going in there to win. Absolutely. Here's the thing. I mean, like I said, and the thing is, Anderson didn't look bad. It wasn't like Anderson went in there and he looked like, like he had moments. I had to fight pretty much tied going into the last round. And then Jake getting the knockdown in the last round is what secured it for me. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like Anderson just didn't show up. Like I still felt he won round. So, you know, I think discrediting, like, I think it just, I think it's a, a it's like what happened with the whole Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw thing. Do I feel bad? I, I legitimately feel bad that, that Aljamain fought a guy who was going into a fight compromised, but TJ Dillashaw took that risk. He's the one who stepped in there compromised. <laughs> Aljamain beat him. That's your fault, TJ. You didn't go in there healthy. You didn't go in there with two shoulders. That's on you. That's not on Aljamain. That's not his fault. You can't come out afterwards and say, well, I had this shoulder problem. You took the fight. You know what I mean? You stepped in there and you took the fight. You lost. No excuses for that. Anderson didn't have a bad fight. Uh, and Jake won. Pretty- Jake won. Like, it's, I, I don't, you know what I mean? And I, I, I hate this narrative now afterwards, you can't in one breath say Anderson's the toughest fight Jake's ever had. And then when he loses, say, well, he's 47, you know, he's not in his prime. You can't do that. Yeah. That's the exact same point I was going to come up with, man. That's the exact same thing. And, and look, the fact is, if you look at the vast majority of pro boxers careers, you know, I don't want to jump. I don't want to pump up Jake Paul too much here, but he's fought tougher guys than 99% of pro boxers in their first four fights, you know, regardless of whether these guys are real boxers or not, you know, most guys first four pro fights outside of, you know, like the Lomachenko's of the world and guys like that, they're not fighting world-class athletes. Tyrone Woodley, the, um, the basketball player, Ben, even Ben Askren, Anderson Silva, these guys are world-class athletes. You can't take that away from Jake Paul. Yeah, it's crazy too because I someone said that to me on uh, on uh, on Facebook. I think it was they said something about like how many how many high level boxers has Jake Paul fought? And I said Canelo Alvarez in his first six fights, his opponents had a combined record of five nine and one, and one opponent had three wins. So that was like the majority of the guys he fought with wins. Okay, now Canelo, yeah. that's not that. By the way, that's not to discredit Canelo. That's just pointing out boxers don't you don't generally fight a good boxer until like your 15th pro fight in boxing. Right. Now, again, there are exceptions to the rule. Lomachenko is probably, you know, the golden one. I'd, Anthony Joshua a little bit coming out of the Olympics. He fought a little higher level competition. But generally speaking, the best boxers in the world are beating. I mean, come on now. They're picking people out of a crowd at like a state fair to step in the ring and fight yeah. these guys and just get exactly. demolished. That's exactly. So, and, and, and with all, with all respect, you know, again, to these guys like Jake Paul didn't have an amateur career either, you know, and which is what has really surprised me. And where, again, you got to give the credit where credit's due. You got to show the respect where he has earned, where he has earned is when most guys that don't have the, the uh, this amount of experience, um, you know, that, that have the lack of experience like Jake Paul does, they don't perform under the lights like that. Right. They, they can, they break down, you know, and some of the, the games Anderson was playing. And I mean, you're going against freaking Anderson Silva and you're, what fourth or fifth uh, pro boxing match? Like that's you know with the millions of eyes on you. 
that's to be respected. And and let's not forget, Jake doesn't come from an athletic background. He wrestled for like half a season in high school and that's yeah. it. It's not like he's coming from like, I did karate or I did, you know, kickboxing or I come from what he's not an athlete by trade. Like he didn't grow yeah. up. Like he got, he got famous doing vines and t- and uh, YouTube videos when he was like a sophomore in high school. That was the end of any athleticism. He started making money and being famous off that because yeah. Logan, Logan, now Logan Paul, his older brother, was a legit wrestler here in Ohio. He was a fifth place finisher in the state finals in wrestling. And you and I both know how good wrestling is in Ohio. So L- Logan was a legit athlete. Jake wasn't. Jake is doing all this. Like within the last like three years, he's learned how to be a boxer. Okay. That to me is as impressive as anything because it's not like he grew up like a lot of boxers do where they're boxing in golden gloves and junior golden gloves and doing something like when they're 12, 13 years old, you know what I mean? Like he didn't do that. He's not a natural yeah. athlete. So the yes. fact that he's going out there and knocking out Tyron Woodley going eight rounds with a legitimate legend. And that, again, that bugs me because one of the things we talked about, Matt was Anderson's looked good since he left the UFC. He looked rejuvenated. He, I mean, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. He mm-hmm. knocked out Tito Ortiz. And again, I know Tito's what it is, but he still knocked him out. And he knocked him out like 40 seconds, which is what we expected what him to do. He, to do. Yeah. And he beat Chavez. You can't, it drives me crazy though. It's like, okay, we all talk about how great Anderson looked and he's looked like he's rejuvenated. Looked like he's happy. He's having a great time. He just got beat. He got beat. That's yeah. all there is to it. There's yeah. no shame in that. Jake Paul just had a good night. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same page on this. It wouldn't end up coming on here and just have an argument uh, versus, you know, I guess it is fighter versus rider, right? We could be arguing <laughs> about, you know, one would say, ah, Harrison's old, whatever. But we have to remember, like you were just talking about, what did we talk about before the fight? We did not expect Jake Paul to win this fight. No. I don't, you know, again, you know, me and you had talked about it. And we said, look, you know, it's going to be really up to Anderson whether he, Anderson wins this fight. I don't know if Anderson was at his best, but Jake fucking beat him, man. You got to give that credit to him, you know? Now the big question is what's next with Jake, right? That's the question now. He did it. He beat Anderson Silva. That's to be commendable. We respect it. We know you're legit now. That's the way I see it, right? You you earn the respect. You're legit. I still don't really care. You know I mean? You're still like just a a mid-level boxer at best to me but where do you go from here that that's what i think gets complicated right he called out nate diaz and i'm like i'm like that's a step down from anderson <laughs> you know what i mean like, uh not not I, just I, in terms not I just in terms on, of skill but it, in terms of size a huge step i said it on saturday night and people got mad at me actually someone from nate diaz's team got mad at me for saying it i said i like nate and i hope he gets paid a boatload of money to fight jake paul i, I root for the guy to do that but Nate Diaz is a 155 pounder who's never had one punch knockout power, and he'd be giving up about 30 pounds to Jake. But to Jake Paul, yeah. I said I said Jake would be a three to one favorite. The odds came out; it was almost exactly three to one favorite. I'm like, if you're doing it for the payday, again, I'm all for it. And Nate Diaz would be a big fight because Nate Diaz is a big name. I, again, I'm all for them making a lot of money doing it. But in terms of stepping competition, you're absolutely, it's a step down. That's And that's not a knock on Nate. I mean, Nate's not a middleweight. <laughs> he's never been, like, he's never been a one-punch knockout striker. Uh, Anderson is a better boxer. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, I know Nate has that style, and everyone talks about like, the Diaz brothers boxing, and they work with Andre. Well, I get all that. 
But come on now, like it's a thirty pound. Like this is this is even worse. Like Woodley, Tyron Woodley, who was never known as a great boxer, but did have knockout power. We knew that about Tyron Woodley in his mm-hmm. career. He had legit knockout power. Tyron Woodley has talked about fighting a middleweight, even though he's a shorter welterweight. He is, you know, he 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 doesn't. And we say he's welterweight, dead. and and you know this, you know this as well, Matt. Like we say welterweight, you never step into a fight 170 pounds. So you know, Tyron Woodley weighs 190. You know, so it's not like it's not like he was giving up a huge amount of size to Jake Paul. Nate Diaz is a lightweight, and I know he's fought at welterweight, but I'm talking like if he walks around at 172, I'd be shocked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's going to give up 30 pounds. Height, weight, size, power, all that to Jake Paul. Like, again, go get paid. Go get your money. I'll gladly support you. I'll support anyone that wants to go do that. But don't tell me this is actually a a really, truly competitive fight. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And that's me personally. I'm a little bit interested in Jake Paul now. I want to see what he can do. I mean, he surprised me that he beat Anderson Silva um, you know, there's not, it's not like a controversial decision. Like he beat Anderson Silva, knocked him down in the last round. I want to see what he's capable of now, personally. And I think, you know, a lot of people were saying this before. If I had a real boxer, blah, blah, like he fight, he fought tougher boxers than most pro boxers do early in their career. I'm kind of interested in seeing what he's capable of now. I don't know who his training camp is or, you know, his sparring partners are and stuff, but it's got me a little bit intrigued as is, uh, where, you know, where's his ceiling? Well, what also drives me crazy about that is like he had a couple of fights set up in this last year against, you know, quote unquote, legitimate boxers, Tommy yeah. Fury and Hasim Rockman Jr. Now, do they come from the pedigree of great boxers? Absolutely. Tyson Fury, you know, best heavyweight in the sport. Hasim Rockman at his time was an incredible heavyweight in his own right. But go, I mean, look, Tommy Fury, I was at his fight in Cleveland. I mean, he looked awful. And then I watched his <laughs> fight. Yeah. I watched his fight when he was on. I can't remember what he was on the undercard of some card. I mean, it was the KSI. Can one of those one of those random like influencer type cards, or maybe it was Tyson Fury's fight card. He fought on the undercard of his brother's card. Whatever it was, it was bad. I mean, it was real bad. I was like, dude, this guy. Like, I would. I said it today privately, and I'll say it now on the air. Anderson Silva. I would pick him to dismantle Tommy Fury. Like, I think Anderson Silva would toy with and and finish Tommy Fury. So, okay, Tommy Fury's got like nine or ten pro fights. Does that mean it's better? And then Hossie Rockman Jr., I mean, come on now. Have you looked at that guy's resume? I mean, he just right. got washed by Kenzie Morrison, who is Tommy Morrison's son. It's like the son of all the famous boxers are fighting. Kenzie Morrison might actually be a decent prospect. He knocked out Hossie Rockman Jr. Would those have been tougher? I mean, Rockman maybe because Rockman had a little bit of size, but like – you're gonna tell me Tommy Fury is really a tougher matchup than Anderson Silva? I would, I would, I laugh at that idea. Well, in fa- all, all fairness to Jake Paul, people tell him he needs to fight real boxers. Those guys are real boxers. They're dedicated professionals. That I don't know. They probably make a living doing this, right? So, <laughs> hey, Jake's have you seen him. Tommy? Have you seen Tommy Fury fight? Uh, I've never watched, but I've heard you're not the first person to tell me how <laughs> terrible he looks. So I can only guess. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, again, I'd have to watch to make my own decision. But when I look at um, uh, Tyson Fury, I mean, he doesn't look like he's doing anything special other than, you know, some of his defensive work and, you know, for heavyweight, some of the stuff, the way he moves. But, you know, he's kind of an awkward guy himself. So 
Um, I don't know if maybe the, uh, Tommy's that way, but it just works for him. I don't even know Tommy's record or anything. You know, I, I mean, I he's really... like, he's like, I think he's like eight and zero or nine and zero, and his he's in that he's in that he's in that classic boxer thing where his opponents are all like zero and two, one and three. Yeah, like yeah, and yeah. he's doing the, he's doing the actual typical boxer thing where his record's padded because he's fighting you know low level guys who probably shouldn't be. I mean, he fought Anthony Taylor. You have UFC mixed martial arts guy Anthony Pretty Boy Taylor, the guy who was training with Jake for a while. He had okay. like he had like a foot of height on him. Like Anthony Taylor is like barely a welterweight. Like he's a short guy, and it was I mean it was a four round fight. I think it was a four round fight in Cleveland. It was bad. I mean it was a real bad fight. Did Tommy win? Sure, he won, but like he didn't hurt him. He didn't knock him down. This is a guy. If he was actually as good as he should be, he should have wiped the floor with Anthony Taylor. He didn't. Not Anthony that. Taylor stuck around, made it every round. It wasn't really competitive, but it wasn't a good fight either. Like it was just like, he did enough to win, you know, he did just enough to yeah. win and got out of there. I mean, dude, like I just, I mean, I've and, seen- and on that, on that note with the, the way the boxers do that, you know, a lot of people call it padding the record, but a lot of it, the other side of that is they're just getting experience. You know, this is where yeah. MMA fighters make a huge mistake. I think constantly I made the same mistake when I was coming up because this is the culture of MMA. These guys have five, six, 10 amateur fights at, you know, 10 is a lot of amateur fights for these MMA guys. And then, you know, they go in and they start, I mean, how many, you know, five and O or 10 and O guys do you see in the UFC fighting world-class guys? I mean, it's a mistake. Like these, what they do, what they're doing in boxing usually you know, they'll find a guy that they know is beatable, but they also see something in him that's going to test the, uh, their fighter. Right? Like maybe he's just got a good jab. Okay, let's see how our guy does against a guy with a good jab. You know, and if he can get past that jab, then you know he's going to win the fight. You know, but he does have that one thing um, that's going to give him some problems. Or, or sometimes they'll, you know, they'll go up against a guy that's like, you know, he's a, a good boxer, but he's just. Uh, or not a good boxer, but just really tough and gritty. That was a, a Edgar Berlanga just fought a guy like that uh, a few months ago, right? And Edgar looked terrible, right? And we were like, most of us, if anybody that follows boxing was watching, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, that's all this hype on Edgar's. Uh, maybe not all that, right? He had, I don't know if you, how much you know about Edgar Berlanga, but, uh, you know, he had a lot of hype behind him. And then, you know, so that, that's what they're doing. They're putting specific tests for specific reasons, and th- you just don't see that in MMA. Um, and Jake Paul really hasn't done that either. He has went against guys um, that are proven world-class athletes. Yeah, so I mean, you, you, can, do, you, you can you can throw. Have to I mean, that. you will. You, I guarantee you could throw in some three and 4 and zero boxers right now, and Jake Paul would knock them into left field because we know that again, right. boxing is not built that way. I mean, you can have a pro record in boxing and doesn't mean you're a great pro boxer. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. That's just not how boxing works. I mean, that's just, typically speaking, you don't. You're not like I said. Canelo didn't. I think. I think I did this research once. I think Canelo didn't fight a f- opponent with a winning record to like his tenth or eleventh pro fight. Like when they actually yeah. had like a you know a three and two record versus like a two and four <laughs> right. record or whatever. But again, but like, I guarantee. I guarantee all those first ten guys, they all had something that they seen. They're like, okay, we know Canelo's going to win, so it's going to build his confidence. But we're we're going to see how he deals with you know whatever type of adversity there's some type of adversity this guy's gonna create at some point in the fight and we just want to see how canelo handles it yeah and listen 
I, like I would right now, like I said, I would pick Tyron Woodley to beat a lot of pro boxers if you just want to throw out just random pro boxers totally, with you know, yeah. no no resume. And and I just said it. I I would one hundred percent right now. I put money on Anderson Silva beating Tommy Fury. I would one hundred percent put money down on him beating Tommy Fury. Um, it, there's a there's a culture of just again, you know, Jake is a is a real polarizing guy. And, you know, uh, but see the difference. I remember back in the day when we, when our, when our old podcast went viral, we talked about CM Punk coming in the UFC and you went off on CM Punk made sports center, all these things. Um, <laughs> the, di- the difference is, is that while CM Punk took a shortcut and by the way, I've talked to CM Punk's, so I like CM, by the way, I've talked to him, interviewed him a couple of times. Seems like, I mean, I always had a good conversation. He is a legitimate fan and I give him credit for that. He's a legit mixed martial arts fan. The problem is being a fan does not make you a legitimate fighter. I've been a fan yeah. of mixed martial arts for 20 years. Ain't no chance, way, or form I'm stepping into the cage to do battle with anybody because I'm not that dude. I'm just not. Jake Paul, yes. <laughs> Jake Paul, like, you can say it's a shortcut. Like, CM Punk got a shortcut to get in the UFC. He knew Dana. It was his dream to fight in the UFC. Okay, he took a real shortcut. Yes, Jake is taking a shortcut because he's famous. He's got a he's got a fan base, and he's, he's doing it. But at the same time, like he's just out there making money and he's having fights and he's and he is getting tougher competition. And there's just like this stigma that because Jake Paul is Jake Paul and you don't have to like Jake Paul. I don't care if you like him or not. You can hate the guy. I don't really care. But you can't discredit and say he's not he's not taking a risk and not getting tougher fights. Now, if he fights Nate Diaz, I think that actually would be a step down from Anderson Silva. Exactly. You know, but again, if he's going to get paid a boatload of money and it's going to do a bunch of pay-per-view buys, listen, I, I mean, I think it's hilarious that Floyd Mayweather's fighting, you know, a social influencer in Dubai or whatever, and we know it's there's no risk. And he's, if he's going to make a couple of $3 million from it, whatever, I don't care. Um, yes, it would be a step down to fight Nate Diaz, but hey, if they're going to make a boatload of money in doing it, I'm not going to stop him from doing it. For sure. For sure, yeah. And, and again, you know, I think the forgotten part, too, is uh, – you know, these boxers coming up fighting these um, non-winning record guys, these kind of journeymen or whatever, these guys, they know they're going to be, they're doing that in front of crowds of a hundred or 200 people. Jake Paul, you have to respect the fact that he's doing it in front of the fucking world. Yeah. You know, like if he puts a, a lot on the line, like his reputation, you know, maybe not his reputation. I don't know. Like when you have the lights on you, you're the main event. You're putting on the show. You're you're putting your balls on the line, man. Like there's something to be said for that, and he handles it well. He fucking handles it well, you know. And and with all that, he's going in and again, you know, he's he fought Anderson Silva. He didn't fight some, you know, zero and eight scrub that, that he knows exactly how to beat. And he did, you know, in a main event pay per view, his own show, in front of millions of people, in an arena. There's, dude, if you've anybody's ever any fighter that's ever walked out to an arena for a cage fight understands how intense that can be. Yeah. So with Jake Paul doing it, you have to you have to stamp some respect on that. Absolutely. Also, did you? I'm sure you probably didn't see this because I didn't see it until just a little bit ago. Did you see this conspiracy theory? that's floating around now that uh, Anderson took a dive in the last round because people are trying to break. It's so hilarious. It's like watching JFK and they're breaking down video footage, like saying that Jake didn't really connect with the punch in the eighth round that knocked him down. They're like, it's a phantom punch. He went down, he threw the fight. And I'm like, 
okay i was like we're in a, we're in a digital we're in a media era now where everyone's got phones everyone's got like there's a billion views of that fight from different angles watch the replay he got clipped like the idea that anderson Silva was going to take a dive to jake paul I, it is hilariously stupid like that's how far people will go to try to discredit jake paul like okay again hate him all you want but don't go down that like fixed fight angle because we hear that all the time Matt. we heard in the ufc when someone people don't like wins or loses it's controversial oh they fit they did they they they, died, they took a dive no they didn't take a dive right, he right. got caught like he got caught with a punch and he was off balance i mean i, I don't think it was like a clean huge knockdown but he got clipped he went down he got back up fight continued made it to the final but i don't know it's hilarious to me the excuses people will make to discredit somebody in a fight yeah i'm, I'm with you no, I, I didn't really you know observe it that close or looking at conspiracy theories or anything but you know whatever maybe maybe he did take a dive who cares he still beat him so you know we're still seeing a whole fight so whatever maybe maybe that's true that he'll get exposed later so you know what i mean like you can't do that forever right so yeah uh, i don't think it did happen but uh and and i think you know just like we had talked about before the uh the fight you know it came down to anderson and i didn't see where uh anderson really cared you know he's getting a big payday he's 47 years old he's you know a legend amongst legends in the ufc he's had his title runs like you know, there's, you know, the, the old saying, right? Like it's hard to get up and, and go run when you're sleeping on silk sheets, you know, and a Anderson's not hungry for this. There's no doubt about it, right? Like he, he's not hungry to fight Jake Paul. So we, you know, you can, you can, you can give that to uh, Anderson, you know, you can make that argument, to, but everybody wants to just turn and say, Oh, it was a dive or whatever. Well, it probably wasn't. And, and, and if you're just going to make an unfounded comment on that, then you're just an idiot. You know, yeah. like you said, there's fucking cameras everywhere. Like <laughs> it's not an easy thing to accomplish. I remember they did the same thing with the Tyrone Woodley fight, right? Like with him, like dropping his glove or you gave him some kind of a signal uh, or something. <laughs> yeah. I gave him a little signal to knock me out now or something like, you know, I don't buy it. And, you know, but we're also in this world of social media and the age we're in, I think you would agree with this is like, you know, we're also getting everybody's opinions. We get to oh, actually yeah. see everybody's opinions and you can just realize how dumb the fucking world is. Right? Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of dumb people out there. And when, before social media, when we were kids, we got the stupidity of like the 20 people around us. Now we get it from the 20 million people around us. And yeah. you realize like, oh, those 20 people are actually smarter than most of these other people, right? Yeah, dude. Like, people say people say some really stupid things. Like I said, I I it drove me crazy last week with the whole Aljamain Sterling thing when everyone's like, You didn't beat a healthy TJ Dillashaw, you didn't deserve the win, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what did Aljamain do wrong? Like, what did he do wrong? He went in right. there and won a fight. Like, it's not on him that his opponent came in there compromised and to TJ's credit, like he actually said afterwards, he said like, I fought with this injury before and I won with it. Um, you know, all those kind of things. So 
it just drives me crazy. Like I, I, I dislike the fact that TJ went in there knowing that he was, you know, physically compromised, yeah. but that's not on Aljamain. That's not his fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you go in with a fracture in your leg and your leg breaks, guess what? That's not your opponent's fault. That's your fault. Your fault for going in there with a fractured and, leg. And I could see some criticism if it goes to a close split decision. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then you're like, oh, Aljamain, you almost lost to a guy or a controversial decision. You almost lost to this guy that has a, a torn shoulder and shouldn't have been in there fighting. He did what he was supposed to do to a guy that's fighting without an arm. Yeah, exactly. It just people, like I said, people go out of their way to discredit guys uh, for stuff like that. And it drives me insane. Like, I just don't understand the logic behind it. Uh, when again, well, like, think, Alger- you know, that's just the world we live in, right? It Everybody is. Wants to it discredit is. everyone else. And, you know, I'm fine with that. Like a lot of people try to discredit what I've done, you know, and I'm sure even as a journalist, people try to discredit what you do and it's fine. You know, like uh, bringing others down doesn't bring you up. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. I, I would, that, always, that has always bugged me when it's like, you don't get any taller by stepping on someone's neck, you know, when they're having like an off night, like a dry, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Dry. Like I, like people were, I remember when, Kamar Usman got knocked out by Leon Edwards. There were so many people celebrating. Like they weren't celebrating Leon. They were celebrating Kamara's downfall. And I'm like, why? Yeah, you can't do that. Like, like why celebrate Leon for doing a great job and making a huge comeback in a fight he was losing and he pulls off this incredible knockout. Celebrate that guy. You're not getting any taller just because you're standing on Kamaru at his lowest moment. Like he got not he got caught and knocked out, lost his title, you know, lost everything in a way. In a way, you know, you lose everything in that moment. Um, and as you said, high profile, all the lights are on you, main event, all that kind of stuff. Like celebrate the other guy, but don't, don't, can, don't, don't tear down Camaro. Don't feel better about yourself yeah. because Camaro lost. That's garbage. And Camaro was dominating the fight other than the first round. He, you know, Leon, I mean, how much credit can you give this guy? I mean, this guy did an amazing job. You know, only guy to ever take down Kamaru Osman, Usman, however you say it, Usman, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, did great in the first round, ended up getting down all the rest of the rounds and then comes back and finds a way to win. I mean, you just got to, I don't see how you bring, try to bring Usman down on any of that. I mean, just Usman fought almost a perfect fight and Leon landed the perfect shot. You know what I mean? Like this is the game of inches that we play. Yeah, absolutely. That fight was also at altitude, which, you know, you saw that that night, man. It messed with everybody. I'm trying. Have you fought? In, I know you trained in Colorado. Did you ever fight in Colorado? Did you ever fight in altitude? I've never fought in altitude, I don't think. Dude, it sucks. Every time Every time I talk to a fighter who does it, they're like, oh, my God, it's awful. It's the worst thing ever. I, I always kind of forget Salt Lake City was actually at altitude. We always talk about Denver at altitude because you lived and trained yeah. in Denver. But, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, like, there, there's, you notice a difference when you're training, yeah. like you're I, I, I remember when I drove the first time I ever drove to Colorado, I went on a camping trip after my senior year of high school, we drove and we did like a two week camping trip. We went through Colorado, Wyoming, uh, South Dakota, all those areas out there. When you drive over the Rocky mountains and you're like driving up and down the Rocky mountains, like, dude, you feel it in your lungs, just driving through there. Like you notice a difference in how you're breathing, just being in that thin air. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't think it was real. Now this is years ago, but I didn't think it was real. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like it's a real thing. Like it actually does make a difference when you're at that kind of altitude, even just driving, it makes a difference. You feel it in your lungs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it gets worse um, throughout. They usually say like the first 
I think three or four days is actually the best time. And then when your body is actually trying to produce the red blood cells to catch up, because so that's where the benefit is, right? Over time, over six weeks or three weeks, however long it is, you build these red blood cells. But when your body is actually producing those red blood cells, that's taken a lot of energy for your body to produce. And that's actually the worst time. The UFC generally flies us out on Tuesday, four days before. So that's the worst time, especially after putting your body through a weight cut and you know all the stress and everything. That's the worst time for your body right then. That's when you feel it the worst. Like I went out there before, you know, in tip top shape. And the first day you're like, oh, this isn't that bad. You know, you, your lungs uh, feel a little bit more shallow, right? You, you don't get quite as much breath and everything. But over those few days, it drains the living hell out of you. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's, and like I said, and then going in there and actually fighting on it. Like, you yeah. know, because if you watch, if you watch every other fight that Kamaru Usman, and this again, I'm not making excuses for the guy. I'm just saying, like, you watch every other fight, he's had conditioning is one of his biggest weapons, and he looked tired. Like, the, by the end, the, to close that fifth round, man, he was a little bit labored in his movement and stuff like that. Like, that's a real weapon. We saw it, we see it all the time. Well, Conditioning's fair, a weapon. He, was, he lives out there now, right? He does. He lives in Denver, yeah, and he, tra- he fought in Salt Lake City. But again, you know as well as I do, like training and fighting are not, you know, the, the exhaust you put yourself through in training is not what you feel like in fighting. You know, like it's a, it, your oh, adrenaline's different. Your adrenaline's different. You're just, it's a different feeling, right? Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I should say, I, it didn't seem to me that he, he got hit with that kick because of no 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 i'm just saying all. i'm just saying i'm just saying like you could tell like they were both dog tired in that in that fifth round like they were both like pushing each other to the brink you know yeah. what i mean that's not uh again that's why that's why i give leon edwards so much credit i'm like damn he pulled it off like they're both exhausted dog tired yeah. fight fight's pretty much over kamaro's winning you know it's pretty much done and boom out of nowhere and like i said dude credit to credit to leon edwards don't discredit you know, that's just, like I said, going back to Jake Paul thing, like Bill, Jake Paul just did a good, you know, I, again, you hate him all you want. Just don't say he didn't do a good job and don't suddenly say Anderson's old and decrepit because the fight didn't go the way you wanted it to go. You know, the I fight didn't go. I'm, you, you I'm, didn't, a, I'm the exact same page with you there. And if Anderson is old and decrepit, um, you know, if he went, if he got old overnight, you know, that happens, right? But we can't blame it on that. Because, like you said, he looked he's looked good. So we yeah. have to go by the history, right? He has looked good. So you have to take that into account. Now, if he comes back and fights again, you know, some, uh, I, don't, I don't know who Anderson, who Lord knows who Anderson would fight next, right? But comes back, fights again, looks old. Then maybe you could look back and say, okay, you know, maybe he was a little, you know, got old, right? But he hasn't. So we can't go there right now. Yeah, they always say it. Father time is undefeated, but I tell you what, that dude looked like he found a fountain of youth in the last couple of years. We can't sit here and lie about that. Like, dude, he he looked, he looked, he looked. Like I said, I was, and I was so legitimately happy for Anderson. It looks like he's having so much fun right now. Like even in the Jake Paul yeah. fight, it looks like he's just having fun right now. Doing, he's got freedom. He's doing his own thing. Uh, you know, and again, good for him. Like I said, I'm never gonna fault a guy. That's why I said if if they do Jake Paul Nate Diaz. Will it be, uh, you know, will it be a, a a competitive fight? I don't really think so. I I, I just right. I just don't see that being a great competitive I'm fight. But you. you know, they're gonna pay him a few million dollars to fight each other, and then pay per view points in the back end. Good for them. Like I'm not gonna, you know, like I don't I don't I'm never gonna fall. That's like when like the Floyd Mayweather thing. Like, am I interested in watching him box outmatched 
fighters who have no business being in the ring with him? No, I'm not going to put down my money to watch it. But if somebody wants to pay this dude $3 million to go out and beat a dude who has absolutely no business being in the ring with him, more power to you. Like, I don't really care. Like, I'm not, I'm not, you, you had a great tweet over the weekend. You're talking about, are, he's like, are there people who really complain about fighters getting paid more money? Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I was like, yeah, I know. I see it all the time. Like, I put up fighter pay stuff all the time. And they're like, if they didn't like what they're getting paid, they shouldn't have signed the contract. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, you just stop. Just stop. It's just so strange to me, right? Like, like these are the guys that are entertaining you. This is who you want to fight. Or this is who you want to watch, right? This is, like, I mean, if you were, like, I don't care what job you're working at. Like, you want more money. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm not one of these, you know, go out and complain about fighter pay all the time. I'm not trying to start a union, all this stuff. But like, like, you know, if someone does construction on my house and they're like, like, man, I wish I got paid more or something. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell them to fuck off and be like, yeah, man, you should tell your boss that, right? Like <laughs> you can work it out, bro. Good for you. You know, I'll support you. I got your back. But these guys, on social media, it's so weird. They're just like, oh, yeah, we get paid enough. Or, and particularly our own uh, coworkers. And I guess this Jake Matthews guy, right? It was kind of started this whole thing where he's like, oh, yeah, I make enough money. It's like, at what job in history does anyone ever just say, hey, I make enough money? I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen this before in my life. But these fighters, some fighters and some fans are just like, oh, yeah, you get paid enough. It's, it's the strangest thing. I've never heard of this before. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Like, and it's so funny because you rarely see those people. Like, I'm not saying you should complain. I'm just saying if you're going to complain and you're going to say people, like, if you're going to say people are making too much money, go after like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, the guys who are making billions and like their employees are not making like a, you know, the uh, pittance of a percentage of what they're earning. Go after them. You're saying they're making, if you want to say Dana White earns too much money, okay, fine. You could say he makes too much money versus the fighters. But saying the fighters make don't make it make too much money or they're getting paid plenty, like who in who in the history of the world legitimately says that? Like it just makes no sense to me. Uh yeah. I, I hear yeah, that I, mean, all I, 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 I don't think I've ever heard anyone say like Dana makes too much money. You know, yeah. it's like and I don't think he does. I mean, I think I think Dana's done a great job and more power to him. You know, he's fucking brought this sport almost single handedly, you know, from nothing to what it is now. So he fucking should be a multimillionaire. I totally agree. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not, and I, like I said, I, yeah, I'm not complaining, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not complaining. Like, you're making, I get it that you know, and and like my issues come down on fighter pay always come down to like the percentages and the revenue being paid back to the fighters. It's not what Dana's earning. I don't really care about that. It's what the fighters are earning. You know what I mean? Like, I think fighters are vastly underpaid in the UFC, Bellator, across all organizations. Now, yeah. you can make a you can make a list and say like, you know, the the the, the lower tier new fighters what they're getting paid versus the veterans like yourself or you're talking about champions things like that, but I think everybody across the board is getting underpaid. But complaining about that like it I I'll never cuz that's like that's like the people who complain to you would, would like Let's say there, and I'm not knocking anyone's profession, by the way. I'm just picking something out of a hat and saying, like, you mentioned construction worker. The construction worker says, Matt, you're making too much money as a fighter. You shouldn't complain. You're making plenty of money. Would you? Would they care in turn that you went to their foreman and said, you know what? This Don guy, he's a piece of shit. 
he shouldn't be paid. He shouldn't be paid sixteen dollars an hour, or twenty dollars an hour to work on my house. Screw this guy. Would he want right. that? No, of course he wouldn't want that. He wouldn't want you diminishing his work and telling him he should make less money. Like it's so crazy to me. And, and I think that was that was one of the uh, one of the people I replied to on one of those tweets. I was like, was, you know, what's your job, bro? And uh, I can't remember what he said it was. And I was like, well, maybe I think you make too much money. Yeah. You know? Like it's, it's just so strange, man. It just doesn't make any sense. But you know, and, and again, I'm, you know, what the, where I do agree is the when, when the people, maybe not totally agree, but you know, when these people they say, well, negotiate a better contract. And I'm like, you know, that's fair because you know us as fighters, we're not good at negotiating contracts. It's certainly not our forte. I have not negotiated my contracts well, uh, you know, and and I want. You know, put this out there as a denim to everything we're just saying. Like, you know, I'm, I've been happy with the amount of money that I've made. You know, and um, you know, I'm part of the reason probably why we don't get paid more than we do. Because there's a million guys just like me that when they call us and they ask us to fight and they say this is what you're getting paid, I say okay, fuck yeah, I'm blessed to get to do this and and this is awesome and um you know, us changing that paradigm mentally is really what needs to, what would have to change for us to make more money. So there's, you know, that there is an argument to be said for that. So if someone comes at me and says that, I get that. If they just say, I don't know why you want more money, you get enough money. It's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah, it's one thing to say, like, you know, because, and also, and not to, you know, just to throw it out there as like a defense, like, you only have so much wiggle room in negotiations with the UFC. Like, we went into the UFC tomorrow and you called Sean Shelby and you said, you know what, Sean, I want to fight, but I need three million. They're just, he's going to hang up the phone on you. Like, they're just not going to, and that's the problem. Like, that's the bigger problem is like, you can't, that, like, you only have so much room in negotiation. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, like I said, there's there's complaints you can make across the board, and you're absolutely right. Like you can say like fighters don't negotiate hard enough for better pay and things like that, and that's true because and you know as well as I do, if you say, hey, Sean, I want three million, and they're like, ah, uh, no, there's gonna be some welterweight out there who will take sixty thousand dollars to go fight on yeah. UFC Fight Night, you know, ninety two at the Apex. Uh, and they're going to say, well, Matt, you're on the shelf. We got, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Johnson, who's going to step in there and fight for 40 grand and, 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 and do it with a smile on his face. You know what I mean? And that's also fighters. Listen, I, I'm always for the, I'm an advocate for the fighters, but you and I both know fighters do undercut each other. Sometimes we had this, the, we had this thing years ago with sponsorships. I, well, when when well, people talk about, when people, when people talk about sponsorships years ago, what, what one guy will take. $5,000 to wear a t-shirt. If there's another guy who will fight on that exact same card, yeah. two spots lower, and he'll do it for 2000 guess what? They're not getting $5,000 anymore. Exactly. And that's where I put my own, um, my own, uh, experiences is where I can say, look, I'm part of that problem. I'm that guy that was willing to do it for less. I'm certainly a part of this problem. So again, you know, people want to say, you know, we should negotiate better. I agree. I should negotiate better. You know, uh, I've always been a simple, happy person. And, you know, that's not the way that, um, that's not the way you make money. You know, um, I've learned and, um, with my businesses that I own, I do things very different, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it's just a learning process, but the vast majority of fighters are young kids that have a dream 
the UFC has built the the biggest brand in history for combat sports, and we have a dream for being in there. So we're willing to do it for anything. We dedicate our entire life to do it. You know, I don't know how hard do you think it would be to find these guys that would fight for free for the UFC? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? Like if just to get in the UFC, if Dana called, went around and did a contender series and said, and said, look, you know, I'll, I'll let, you know, we'll do a lottery and one guy gets to fight for free in the UFC. Dude, there'd be a million people sign up, you know, <laughs> like, and a half of it would be, you know, for uh, the potential monetary gain later, right? So maybe, oh, maybe I'll win and get a big contract, right? It's kind of what the contender series is. These guys aren't making money doing that. And then the other half would be the guys that um, just simply want to be in the UFC. I don't, I don't know how many guys I've trained with throughout my life. They were up and comers, you know, kind of ask them what their goal is or what their motivations are. They're like, oh, I just want one UFC fight, man. I just want to feel and see experience. I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? It's so it's strange to me, you know, but this is a common thing. It's like a status symbol. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's it's like it's like being the it's like being a popular kid in high school and you went to you were the king of the prom or whatever. Like it's like you got in the UFC. Yeah. It's the wrong, it's the wrong mentality. I I because I used to say this to guys or girls when they get in the UFC, and I'd say, Congratulations on getting in the UFC. And I I've learned to kind of stop myself and say, Congrats on getting in. That's awesome. But the goal isn't to get to UFC. It's to win in the UFC and to win a championship Absolutely. or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I had to re I had to retool my brain because for the longest time I was guilty of that. I would say to a fight, Oh, congrats on your deal. And I do mean that. Like when you get a contract, like, congrats, but that's not the end goal. Just getting to the UFC should not be your goal. Like that's not a exactly. status symbol. You just, just cause you're wearing a pair of UFC shorts doesn't really mean that much in this day and age. Exactly. And, and it's really, once you get into the UFC, that means your journey has now begun. Now you have the potential to uh, make this your your whole life, right? Before the UFC, you're probably working a regular job. You're probably um, sleeping on mats or, you know, doing whatever you have to do to get by. You're a starving artist is exactly what you are. Once you get to the UFC, now you actually, you know, maybe even Bellator or PFL these days. I don't know. I don't really know how their contracts work, but the UFC certainly – now you have the opportunity to make this your livelihood. You have the opportunity to make this uh, a, hu a huge thing for you. The sky is the limit. So, um, when, you know, I don't say congratulations on getting to the UFC either anymore. And I would say congratulations on the beginning of your journey. Yeah, now, I, you know what I mean? Like your journey, like all that other stuff was walking up to the mountain. Now you're at the base of the mountain. Yeah, I said an interview that that'll come out next week uh, ahead of UFC uh, 281, which we're going to preview next week. I know we're both very excited about that card. Had a conversation with Carlos Sparza, the UFC strawweight champion, and I said, you know, I think it's 2,612 days between her title reigns. Like she won the first ever strawweight championship, and she had to wait that long, that many years, like seven years or whatever it was, to get a title again. And I said, like, that's such a remark. Like, if you want to model yourself after somebody, model yourself after somebody like Carlos Sparza, who who was a champion got knocked down, didn't fight for the title again for six, seven years, then went out and won it again. Like, that's what you yeah. aspire to, not just getting to the UFC. Like, aspire to be a veteran like Matt Brown who's been in there for years and and earns bonuses and, and is a is a fan-favorite fighter. And every time Matt Brown fights, we're all like, oh, my God, it's a Matt Brown fight. Aspire to that. Don't aspire to just get in the UFC because there are guys and girls who just want that logo on their shorts. And dude, guess what? You can go to yeah. the store and buy a pair of Reebok shorts or Venom, whatever the hell <laughs> right, they are right. now, and buy or, a pair of shorts at UFC. 
or, or again, they think that's sort of the top of the mountain. They think they that made that's it. A, they made it. Yeah, they made it, and that, it makes them feel so good. And that's great. You know, you should feel good because uh, that's a big, uh, a huge step up in your journey. But it's still just the beginning of your journey, you know. And the, the, we always say there's levels to this, and once you get to the UFC, your level, the levels change. Yeah, you know, the, absolutely. Uh, you know, the the guy that um, I think you know one of my fighters was figuring that out. AJ, you know, he just had a second UFC fight and lost both of them. And, you know, I think there was something he figured out, right. It's like these, there's levels in here, you know, and you can, um, I tell all my fighters, I say, look, champions train like champions before they're champions, not after they're champions. You're not going to be a champion unless you're training like a champion beforehand. Um, so you need to be, already in the mindset that you're a UFC champion, that you're already there. I made this mistake myself. That's how I can preach it to others. Cause you know, I kind of, when I first got in the UFC, I kind of had that same mentality of like, wow, this is amazing. I'm here. And then over the years it kind of set in and I was like, damn, I could, I'm still here, you know, <laughs> but uh, a lot of these guys, you know, they, they don't dream big enough, I think. And, and they don't have, uh, you know, it's a humbling sport too. So there's, I think there's a lot of days where you get humbled. Ah, I'm not really good enough for the UFC. You know what I mean? Kind of things like this. A lot of factors that come into play on all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned we can do a whole uh, podcast on that one day, maybe. Absolutely. We absolutely should. We really should. Uh, we're also we're here in a minute, just for everyone that's listening here in a moment, I am going to play an interview I did with uh, Bilal Muhammad, of course, coming off a big win at UFC 280, a knockout over Sean Brady. Uh, shocked a lot of people with that performance. Yeah, uh, an incredible performance from Bilal. So we're going to play that in just a, in just a moment. Uh, before I get you out of here, Matt, uh, we talked about next week UFC 281. Probably is it is it possible that that Israel Adesanya and Alex Perea is maybe your most anticipated UFC fight of the year? Because dude, we've been talking about this one for a while. It's going to be hard to pass up. Uh, um, God, uh, Chandler and uh, um, God dang it, it's not not crossing my mind now oh gaichi uh, that one yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. well you yeah, got chandler and chandler poirier on this card too oh yeah i forgot about that i mean uh, chandler he's just a wild man i just love he's so athletic man i just love watching his fights man um but yeah like him and gaichi because the thing with the, for me yeah yeah izzy and alex that, that's the most anticipated fight but that's because i'm a fight fan if this is not going to be an exciting fight. This is not going to be a knockdown, drag-out war. Now, a lot of people are going to be excited because Alex knocked him out before, so they're hoping for that again, maybe. A lot of people are going to be excited because, um, you know, they're, they're both strikers. You know, th there's going to be a lot of hype behind this fight. But there's no way that this is going to be an exciting fight. Neither one of their kickboxing fights were exciting fights. This is a highly technical kickboxing match between two of the best kickboxers in history and people like me and you that are fans of the sport and love the technical aspects are going to get off on this fight and love it. But, hey, I'm still a, a, a fan myself of the bloody wars. I'm still a just bleed guy in some ways, <laughs> you know, and – like when Chandler fights, that's what I want to see, man. So like yeah. Chandler Poirier, Chandler Gagey, uh, that's what well, that's what don't gives get, me don't voters, get, man. Don't give away our whole preview show yet, man. We got that next week. Jeez, don't give. Yeah, away we're right gonna now. work on that. We're gonna do the whole preview show. 
Um, and I'm, I'm going to go back and watch his kickboxing matches again. I watched them before and, you know, I don't remember Alex having as much success as people, um, you know, think because it was, you know, well, all we see was the knockout and he won a decision the first time. But, uh, I remember Izzy having, I'm going to watch it again because I don't remember exactly. I watched it a long, long time ago. You know, I've been fans of these guys for a long time. Um, and I remember it being a, a pretty close match with Izzy doing a lot of really good things. Izzy had him hurt pretty bad in the second match. And and Alex, because Alex was wobbled really badly. And then he survived and came back and got the knockout. But we'll, we'll go through all that. We're going to get real, through all this. Yeah, before we get to Bilal Muhammad, though, I want to mention to you, Matt, did you see the announcement? Because I know you are, we always talk about this, you are the guy who said, you know, if I could have done anything in, in combat sports, if it was popular enough, you would have done Muay Thai because Muay Thai is like your favorite thing, right? Uh, did oh, you yeah. see the, did you see the announcement that Bukow and Sanchai are going to be fighting in bare knuckle? Did you see this thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of comical, right? Dude, they're both like, when I saw, I remember when they signed, like when I got the announcement, they signed, I was like, dude, like talk about legends. Like it's so crazy when I look up their records, like, oh, he has, I, I, I wrote the article and I said, cause Bukow is like 200 and, 70 wins and i was like oh it's like you know it's you know it's typical you know crazy muay thai record in thailand and i looked it up and, like and yeah sanchai has like 380 wins i was like jesus i was like that's insane it, that's a that's a tough one for me to get excited about i've got to watch it but it's two guys that are not great boxers like bukow specifically has never been known for his boxing because it's just bare knuckle boxing, right? It's not, yeah. not Muay Thai no, at not, all, right? Yeah, not Muay Thai. Yeah, not Muay Thai. Yeah, so these two guys that aren't really boxers, boxing, and they're friends. Like these guys have trained together for a long time. Like, they're good friends. They're they're like actual friends. Like, are they going to try to hurt each other? Are they just going to play? You know what I mean? I don't know what they're going to do in here. Of course, we got to watch it. I'd, I'd watch anything those two guys do. But this yeah. is a, this is a very strange thing here. It is. It is. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But right now. I do want to get to the interview with Bilal Muhammad, of course, coming off a big win over Sean Brady, uh, yep. incredible performance. And uh, I think he, I think he proved a lot of doubters wrong with that one. So uh, here is my conversation with Bilal Muhammad. The Bellator champion series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ, Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist, Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Coming off a huge win at UFC 280, and I'm officially adopting a new nickname for him. He has no longer remembered the name. He has now put some damn respect on this man's name. Bilal Muhammad. Bilal, welcome back. How are you? <laughs> What's up, my brother? I like that nickname right there. I can, I can see Bruce Buffer yelling that out. It sounds good. 
That was my that was my tweet right after the fight. I said, "Put some damn respect on this man's name." Congratulations on an amazing victory, and uh, man, I tell you what, you put quite an exclamation point on that fight. Uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, the whole camp, we were just telling ourselves we have to go out there and, like you said, get some respect, earn some respect. It was one of those fights where I think uh, uh, we we talked before, like. I didn't want this fight. I wanted something bigger. I wanted something, uh, a bigger name, something that was going to give me one step away from a, a title fight. And uh, they ended up getting, giving me this one. So I was like, all right, I have to go out there. I have to show the UFC my worth. And in front of those Abu Dhabi fans, in front of that crowd, that energy, I had to get a finish. And it came all, all came true. I don't, I don't think the UFC, by any stretch of the imagination, was trying to set you up for a loss. I don't think that at all. But, but obviously... You know, going from Vicente Luque, a guy who was, you know, ranked, I think, one ahead of you, and then going to a guy who was ranked several spots behind you, undefeated, had a little bit of hype behind him. You know, you were in a tough spot. You were in a low, you were in a, a high risk, low reward situation. And, and you had to go out, and you heard all week people were picking Sean Brady. He became the favorite, betting favorite leading into the fight. A lot of crazy stuff was going on. And then you go out there and knock him out in the second round, and you really took it to him. He couldn't take you down, and then you beat him on the feet, which a lot of people said, can Bilal strike? Can you go out there and strike, you know, and do that kind of thing? Uh, again, anyone that doubted you, they got silenced on Saturday night. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. I'm looking at it like hearing the the people, the criticism and things like that, I'm looking at it like, man, why are these people, had they not watched my old fight, did they not see my – my past work, like I've sat there and struck with Randy Brown. I've sat there and struck with Diego Lima. Like I go into every fight with a game plan uh, and I go into every fight differently. Like I'm not going to sit there and strike with Wonder Boy, who's 50-0 striker. Uh, I, I went there and I, I outstruck Luke and I took him down, obviously, but I still outstruck him on the feet. With this fight right here, I knew that I had the clear advantage on the feet and I knew what I was going to be able to do to him on the feet. So I said, why would I want to even grapple with them where he's comfortable and all of his fights he's had, it's always been that comfort level when it came to the ground. And I've gone with guys like that wrestlers like that, where whether you take them down or they take you down, they're comfortable on the ground. So they're okay there. But if you put them on their back foot against the fence, make them uncomfortable, they're going to break. Like they had so many, uh, I think the PI did a test on them or something like that, where they, they tested his, CO2 level or something, and they said, oh, man, Sean Brady had the, the record for the best uh, cardio in the UFC or something like that, and people were, like, sending me that. I'm like, bro, that has nothing to do with anything. Where's your cardio <laughs> when you're getting punched in the face? And that's what I showed this weekend. Absolutely. You know, it was also what I also loved about the performance was you actually made adjustments on the feet because early on, Sean was, was, was getting – he had a hook. He had one hook that was landing, you know, decently in that first round. You made the adjustment. He started missing that hook, and then you started hitting him when he was throwing the hook. I, I saw that adjustment you made mid-fight. That, to me, was one of the most brilliant aspects of this fight because the one thing he was doing kind of well early, not only did you make an adjustment on it, but then you made him pay for it with your striking. Can you walk me through that? Like, Was that something you were seeing because he, he hit you a couple times with the hook, and then you made the adjustment to make him miss the hook, and then you were countering and hitting him when he threw the. I just, I loved I loved the adjustment you made even in that first going into the second round. Yeah, I feel like I I'm one of the only fighters that are are very good at making adjustments in the fight mid fight where I usually see a lot of things. I'm a guy too where I like to spar with different guys, and if I get hit with something, it uh, it stays in my mind, and I try to use it, and it always sticks with me. If I got caught with something like oh dang, he caught me with this. 
watch this the next time out there, watch the second round, third round, fourth round, things like that. So like I've always trained like that and always had that mindset of uh, being able to mentally adjust and change things up mid fight. And also have three of the best corners in the world that see a lot of things. So in between rounds, my coach was telling me too to uh, adjust to throwing more upward in the middle too, because Sean was doing a good job of blocking the outside. And when I was throwing those wide punches, he was catching me with that hook. So we switched to the uppercut a little bit. And like I said, for for him, I don't think that he's comfortable adjusting or being in the fire. So that second round when that hook wasn't landing, that's when he couldn't make an adjustment. He couldn't figure out what to do next. His coaches, his corners or something was just yelling stupid stuff from their corner. Like, oh, he got nothing for you. He got this. this. Like they were yelling trash talk instead of giving him real tips. And I was just like laughing in my head. It was also funny because you mentioned the cardio thing. Um, you know, you're, one of your biggest weapons is your conditioning, is your cardio. You push a pace that really and no one has been able to keep up with you. You saw in the, in the Luke fight, you pushed him in by the late parts of the fight. I mean, that was a huge weapon for you in that fight. I thought there was also that you pushed him to the point, even in the second round where like you could see he was labored in his movement. He was labored when you were going around, like he stopped moving forward. It was crazy. Even in the second round, like it felt like your conditioning became a weapon in that fight. Yeah. A lot of this, uh, the game planning for this fight, uh, this camp was, you know, we were mad that we couldn't get it a five rounder. Like even like Habib was like, yo, I think this would have been a perfect five round fight because like we saw in the Kiesa fight that he did, gas out a little bit in the third round. So then we were like, we have to step on the gas right away early. He's a guy that he'll take you down in the first round. And once he wins that first round, that's when he's in his comfort zone, his comfort level. A lot of wrestlers like that too, where they win the first round and then the second and third round, they'll use that time to waste the time, push you on the fence. And that's what Sean is comfortable doing. So the first round was all striking. And I know that he may have won the first round, but he's not comfortable striking you there. So he's not going to have the cardio to keep that pace up there. And I was like, I made him push the gas. And we, we, we are like in this in between rounds, like perfect round, beautiful round. Now's our time to turn it up. Now's where we go. Now's where he's going to start breaking. What I loved about the finishing sequence is again, because, you know, at that point he's starting to look a little tired. He's starting to look a little labored. You probably could have taken him down and, and, and beaten him on the ground in that way. But the fact that you saw an opening and you hit him and you saw him hurt and then you went for it, but it was also controlled. You didn't go wild. Uh, there was a moment there where like he was hurt. And I noticed you took a second to measure your shot. You weren't just throwing wild bombs just trying to get him out of there. But I thought that was a brilliant finishing sequence because you saw the opening, you heard him, you had him trapped against the cage, but you were still measured. You weren't going crazy. You weren't just throwing wild haymakers just trying to get him out of there. You were just pummeling him with, with measured shots. And I thought that was a, a great finishing sequence. Can you kind of walk me through that, what you saw and also how you don't, like in that moment, you don't just go crazy because you know he's hurt. You know you're going to get him out of there, but you were still, you were very measured with your your, your shots and your combinations. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny because the the ref that came in the back before the fight and he gave us you know our pre-fight rules he, we like we never saw him before. I'm like, oh crap, we got a new ref. <laughs> so like it already stuck in my head that this guy's a you know a, a different ref. And you know I'm in the middle of the fight, I see him rock. Like I'm looking at his eyes, his eyes are going back, and I felt like I hit him with so many unanswered shots, and I was like, oh this ref's not gonna stop it. So I'm like, I cannot blow my load here. I have to be smart with it and pick him right at the right moments. 
because you see it all the time where guys would just throw a bunch of punches, then they'll look at the ref and hope that he stops it. I was like, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make him pay for the words he was saying, the, the oh, at the press conference, said, oh, yeah, you never stopped anybody. You're not going to stop me, LOL. And little things like that. I'm like, all right, well, if I get these free shots, he's not doing anything. I'm going to keep giving it to him. It was, uh, it was great. It was a good stoppage, too, because I think at that point, like, he was still technically on his feet, but he was done. He was out. You knocked him out on the feet. Sometimes the knockout on the feet is even more impressive when you hit a guy to the point where he's just he's just done. And it was a good stoppage. Again, I actually thought a couple shots earlier could have stopped him, but again, good stoppage. That's what I thought, was, too. I was, <laughs> like, I, I, I was like, man, I was like, man, I feel like this ref is stopping the fight late. And then when I heard people say it was early, I was like, bro, I thought it was late. Like, I'm looking at Sean's eyes, and he did not want to be there. He, he, was, he was looking for the ref to step in earlier, but I was like, all right, I just got to keep hitting you too. This ref steps in. Yeah. You know, there's some, there's some guys it's like, it, it, it almost like it breaks them in the, in the, in the head. Like you, you hurt them and they just don't go down, but they're done. Like they're knocked out. They're not going anywhere, but they're just not physically falling over. And sometimes that's more dangerous because you're just getting additional brain damage by just blasting the guy. And like he, he was standing there and you were just hitting him and he was turned to the side which was most concerning to me because you're just hitting him in the head and his head's turned to the side. And I'm like, he's clearly not defending himself at this point. Like he's just turning away and getting punched. Yeah, exactly. I was looking at it. I was like, in my head, I'm like, bro, what is this ref thinking? Uh, but you know, luckily he finally stepped in before the, uh, the clock uh, rang. Yeah. At the end of the day, Bilal, and I, and I say this as a compliment, like, you know, you go out there and, and you have no problem trash talking with an opponent. You have no problem going back at someone coming at you. But ultimately, you're a, you're an athlete. You're a fighter. You're you're a mixed martial artist. You're not out there to hurt anybody. Um, but did it feel good, you know, to get that kind of a win? Because Sean had been talking. He had he he talked trash before the fight. He was saying you're running from him. You were ducking him. You didn't want this fight. All these kind of crazy things, trying to get you to take the fight. All those kind of things he was saying. You mentioned the pressers kind of saying things about you, like. I know you don't go out there trying to hurt your opponent. You're not going out there to like, you know, maim anybody, anything crazy like that. But did it feel satisfying to get a win like that over that guy, considering what he had said kind of leading into it? Yeah, it was it was very satisfying, especially because, you know, we have like mutual friends, me and Paul Felder, him and Paul Felder. And I got met him a couple of times beforehand. Uh when I first met him, it was like his second fight in the UFC or something. And uh he was very nice. Oh, hey, I'm, 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 I'm trying with Paul. Uh, what's up, bro? Nice to meet you. Like, all this cool stuff. And then he ended up winning that fight. And then he called me out on the mic after. And I was looking at it like, bro, this guy was just nice to me when I met him in person. But he <laughs> called me out. But I'm like, all right, whatever. And then we did have that fight scheduled. And he pulled out. And I didn't even know why he pulled out of that fight uh, for what, whatever injury. And then that's why when he started saying this one, like, you're running, you're doing this. And I'm like, bro, you pulled out of the first fight. And I had so many of his people in my DMs from, like, Philly and all with the last name Brady saying, take the fight, you're scared, you're a coward, and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, I just fought a guy that knocked me out before in Luque, and, but I'm afraid of fighting you. Why? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like it, it was definitely satisfying just the way I won that fight and I proved a lot of doubters wrong, haters wrong. You know, the troll world is, I think, turning over to become fans now, so that's always fun uh, when you switch uh, your haters to fans. Uh, but yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me is just like showing the world what I know I, I can do anyway. Like I, I knew uh, what I was capable of and I always just listen to these people telling me like, oh, he's not good enough. He doesn't have this. He's, he doesn't have any striking at all. And I was just sitting there listening to it with a dumb look on my face. But now I feel like I woke up a lot of people and a lot of people are going to start respecting me now.
Yeah, I think that was the biggest takeaway, right? Because there was some talk about Sean Brady. Maybe he was going to be the next thing, the next big thing, the next guy. Uh, and I said before the fight, I said, you know, I don't think people, I said this to you, I said, I don't think people give him enough respect because he came in and, and looked really good. And I said, you know, he actually had better wins than Hamzad did before Hamzad fought Gilbert Burns. You know, he, he had better wins on his record. And I said, it's kind of crazy people don't, you know, want to give Sean the, the credit he deserves, but you go out there and knock the guy out. I think you did turn a lot of people around because, again, you had your doubters. You have your haters, Bilal, and you're always going to have them. And you could go out there and knock out Leon Edwards in eight seconds. People are still going to find some reason to hate on you. But I think you did turn a lot of people around in that fight. Maybe you felt it afterwards. And, again, you, you, you get your victory lap right now, right? Like, this is the time to kind of prove the doubters wrong. The people who didn't pick you, the people who said you were going to lose, the people who said you weren't the real deal. You're, you're kind of, you get to, you know, kind of shake your know, brush off your shoulder a little bit. And as I said, put some damn respect on your name. Yeah, you know, I had a 14-hour flight home. Uh, so I was like, just going back. I like to go back and like, listen to, uh, old podcasts and like, just look at, listen to guys picks and who they thought was going to win and why they were going to win. And just looking at old comments under your weigh-in pictures, because you're going to have those people under there. Oh, you're going to get knocked out tomorrow. There's no way. And it's just like, I was just like, why, uh, read those with my brother. We're on the plane. We're just like laughing at all of them. And I was like, I'm going to respond to this person. But like, you know what? I'm not even going to give it attention. I'm not even getting no energy. Um, you know, I like, this whole five weeks was uh, like a blessing. And like, I just wanted to enjoy that journey and just be appreciative of it and not give the energy to these people that, like you said, they're going to hate on you no matter what. Like Aljamain Sterling beat Dillashaw, but he's still getting hated on for some reason. Like it's his fault that Dillashaw went in there injured. And like I said, no matter what you do, people are going to just look for a way to tear you down. And I'm done giving energy to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, just I listen, I'm just going to say I pat myself on the back. You can go back and listen to my preview show with Anthony Smith. We both picked you to win. Just I'm just saying, like, just, you know, just put it out there. Me and Anthony both picked you to win. Um, let me ask you this camp. You mentioned after the fight and it was in your corner, of course, Habib Nurmagomedov was in your corner. Um, and you, and I know you praised him a lot afterwards. Now, to be clear, you do have a great other team around you, of course, working in Chicago, the guys you work around. So I don't want to take the credit away from them. But you did mention working with Habib. Can you tell me, like, what ultimately was the biggest addition, having him there and working with him? And will you work with him again going forward? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, right. uh, bro, it was it was another level working with uh, those guys over there. Uh, being able to to train with the team, learn from who I consider the GOAT uh, of all fighting, and to be training side-by-side side with who I think is the, the best fighter in the UFC right now in Islam. And, you know, we're sparring, we're training, we're, we're eating together, we're praying next to each other, we're driving in the same car together. So you get a more of a personal side from all these guys. And their, their whole team is just a different level. Like when I first got there, it was just going with guys that, you know, a lot of people don't even know their names, not in the UFC. And I'm getting taken down. Uh, Islam is tapping me out. And I'm telling myself like, bro, is this going to hurt me, hurt my confidence mentally to the point where it's like, dang, if these guys are killing me like this, like what kind of confidence am I going to go to in the fight? Uh, but it just leveled me up to a whole different level. Cause I was like, the way they train so hard, there's nothing special about it. Like everybody's like, oh man, is there is there something different these guys are doing? It's just hard work. Like Habib, as a coach, pushes you to different levels. They're like our favorite day was when he'll be like, okay, rest. Like me and Islam would look at each other, we'll give each other a fist pound, like we'll just smile. And 
Yeah, because it was like we're just so happy that he would say that because we'll sit there, we'll spar, and then we'll go straight into grappling, and then he'll put me in a bad position in the cage, and then you still have to burn out with either jumping squats, push-ups. It was just nuts, and I never worked as hard, but it just changed me mentally to a point of I know there's nothing that Sean could do to me that these guys already didn't do to me. And like I said, Islam, a lot of people don't know how good he really is. Like you hear it all the time that, oh, he's going to be the, the greatest ever. Habib says that he's better than him. And, you know, people are just saying, oh, they're just blowing hot smoke. But no, dude is really good. He is, he's literally the best guy I've ever trained with. His striking is another level. His ground game is another level. And his humbleness is a different level too because it's – He's sitting there teaching me, and his fight's it's still the biggest fight of his career next week. And he's like, hey, do this, like this, and show me how he got me down. And it's like, bro, like, why are you get? you don't have to do that right now. You, you, you know, go rest because you, you had the biggest fight of your career coming up. But he showed me a whole bunch of different things. I learned so much from all of them, and uh, I'm just blessed to be able to do that. And you, like I said, growing, not really growing up because we're the same age, but like coming up in this fight game, he was a guy that I've looked up to. So now it's like gone around full circle that we're training next to him and he's in my corner and being in the locker room with him, just seeing their calmness in the locker room. Cause like you, there's always that stress of what's going to happen or uh, like, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose, but religiously and with them, like you see, it's God's plan, no matter what, like win or lose it was for God had a reason for it. So they just like cemented it in your brain. So like we put the work in, all the work is already put in. Like we didn't cut any corners with anything. So now it's like whatever God has in store for us, God has in store for us. And that's the sense of confidence that they all brought to that locker room. And there was no anxiety or anything back there. It was just cool. Like we was back there laughing, smiling. Even when I'm walking out, he's telling me like, these people are all here for you. Go out there and put on a show for your people. That's what this crowd is here for you. No one else. And it was just, it was surreal. So will you, will you work with them again going forward? Yeah, definitely. I'm, uh, we're, we're actually planning on going, uh, taking a trip to Dagestan in March uh, with the whole squad. Like, he welcomed uh, my boy Jared Gordon down uh, with open arms. He, like, they let him train with the team. Mike Bally was down there for two weeks. And, you know, Lewis Taylor was down there five weeks with me. But, yeah, they were like, yeah, anytime you want to come down, we got you. We'll take care of everything. So, yeah, we're going to try to get a whole team uh, down there in Dagestan in March. And I know you have, as I mentioned, a great team around you, Lewis Taylor, Mike Valley. I saw them in your corner as well. Uh, you got the good luck charm now, though. You know, you got to have Khabib in the corner going into the title fight and everything, right? Like, you got to have him there. Uh, I, yeah, I have to, man. It, like, people are always, oh, it's even Sean, oh, what is Khabib going to do in the corner? Blah, blah, blah. Like, his vision, the stuff that he sees, he's he's the the GOAT for a reason. Like, like I tell people, like, there's people that can, that can coach and not fight and can fight and not coach, but he can do it all. And I think that he's eventually going to be one of the best coaches to ever do it because he sees everything. And, like, his game planning, like, he'll watch tape on Sean Brady. It wasn't like he would just win it or I'll be there fight night. Like, he was sending me messages of, hey, I saw Sean. He does this. He likes to do this with this. And, like, he actually looked out, looked for things that we could use in the fight. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, I'll corner you, brother, whatever. And I'll just show fight night and, you know, make an appearance. Like, he really cared about it and – uh it was an honor that, and it was a blessing that he actually took it serious. 
Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. I don't think people give him enough credit. Like, he's a brilliant guy. Like, I've heard stories about this for a long time. Like, even when he was fighting, I heard stories coming out of AKA, like how he would, like, teach guys and train guys. And uh, it's it's hard to say this, but maybe it's true that maybe he'll even be a better coach than he was a fighter. Yeah, I think so, man. And he he wants greatness out of all of his guys. Like, you, people will look at him and be like, oh, man, he looks mad or mean or anything like that. But it's not that. It's He wants greatness out of you. Like, he's he's already achieved greatness. He's already achieved everything, and he doesn't need to be in that room with us and giving us his knowledge and his time. But he is because you know all of his te- all of his guys, teammates, Islam, they all helped him reach his goals, and he wants to pay it forward and helping all of us reach our goals. And that's what I love about him most is that his humbleness and you know just his sense of gratitude that he has for everybody. Like there's no oh I don't got no time today. Like. Th- when he goes to a meet and greet or something like that, he takes us all. If he like, he got invited to a whole bunch of dinners out there. He'll take his whole team. Yeah, you have to serve my whole team. Like he wanted all of us around there, and that was like the, the cool part about it. And it's not like it changed them at all. Like he had to do this, this, and this, but he'll still be at practice the next day, rolling with us, teaching us, showing us. And like at the end of every practice, he's like, "You look bad. You need to do this, this, and this." Like he's calling you out in front of everybody. And that like leveled us all up because I'm, he's telling him, yo, yo, you did this in sparring. Why'd you do this in sparring? You should have did it this way, this way. It's telling me that, all right, well, I got to do that too. And you take what's useful, you throw away what's not. So it's like, if he's telling this guy this, that means he probably saw that in other guys too. So it was cool that he would call people out like that because if you hear him call somebody out, it's not because he wants to embarrass him or anything like that. He wants it to get better. Like I'd rather get, tapped out at practice so I don't get tapped out in a fight. And that's what I tell people all the time is like, if you're in a room where you're the best guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Absolutely. Absolutely. To that point, Bilal, you know, whenever you get a big win, we always got to talk about what's next and, and where you're at right now. I saw the new UFC rankings come out. You're number four. Um, you know, at this point now, let me be clear about this because again, you, you took a risk fighting Sean Brady Now, in your head. You may say like, it's not a risk because you were confident you're going to win, but it's still a risk because he's behind you in the rankings. You don't get as much from a win, you know, over a guy like that as you would have maybe fighting a Hamzat or Colby. So now you're in a position where you only have a couple of guys in front of you. Now it looks like all signs are pointing towards Leon and Usman doing it again in March, which, by the way, I want to say, last time we spoke, I know you remember this. You called it. You said, I bet you they're going to push for uh, Leon and uh, and, and Masvidal. And they were going back and forth on Twitter. It's like, oh, my God, it's happening. Bilal called it. But it looks like it's going to be Usman and Edwards, you know, three. It looks like it's going to happen, hopefully, in March, maybe in the U.K. I know Ali has said that's what they want. I know Leon has, you know, continued to say, I think that's what's going to happen. So that leaves Hamzat and Colby. Now, I know they've talked about Hamzat and Colby in March. But you and I both know we haven't heard from Colby. Colby's been dead silent since the whole Masvidal thing. He has brain damage, apparently, so maybe there's some going on there. I don't know. Um, listen, I, I get it, the the, the Colby fight and, and Hamzad. I know that's what Dana said. But let's be honest. We don't know where Colby's at. Colby hasn't said a word. He's got this legal thing going on. I don't know if we can depend on Colby doing that. You and Hamzat's the fight. You've been the I said I did the article before the fight. You called out Hamzat multiple times. They gave you Sean Brady. You called out Hamzat before. They gave you Vicente Luque. Uh, you and Hamzat seems like the fight to make. It seems like the only fight to make, and and that's just because of where we're at. But but you tell me, am I wrong? Is that the fight? Like is March? It's got to be you and Hamzat. But is there anything else? What's going on? Yeah, I think that's literally the only fight to make for me. It's either Leon or Hamzat, and. Uh... I think that 
us two make the most sense. I know they're talking about Kobe, but I don't think Kobe's going to take that fight. Kobe hasn't taken a, a a hard fight or a guy a fight that a guy's coming off a win since Kamaro. Kamaro's the only guy that he's fought in his last eight fights that wasn't on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, Kobe, he gets the credit for being the the guy that would be the champion if Kamaro wasn't there, yada, yada, yada. But who is he beat? He'd be in Masvidal on a three-fight losing streak, Woodley on a five-fight losing streak. Uh, other than that, it's been nothing but lightweights. Uh so why is this guy getting all this credit in the world when I'm the guy that's beating ranked guys? I beat uh, Luke on a seven-fight winning streak. I was just beat Wonderboy, who was 3-1 and one out of his last four. I just beat this kid who was 15-0. And, and I just fought. I beat four top 10 guys in the last year. The only other guy that's beating top 10 guys in the last year is Kamaru Usman. Nobody else is beating multiple top 10 guys. Even Hamzat's only win against a ranked guy is Gilbert Burns. And that was a close split decision. And he came in nine pounds overweight his last one. So for me, I think I'm right underneath tomorrow and should be number two in the division and rankings wise. So the fact that they still have Kobe up there doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I think if they're having that fight in London with uh, Leon and tomorrow, I want to be on that card. I think me and Hamza make the most sense and there's nobody else for me. Like I, I, I said it before this with this fight. I was like, I know if I beat Brady, I'm still going to have to fight one more. If I fight somebody else, I'm still Hamza still going to be in front of me. They're still going to give him that just because his following and his uh, uh, his aura about him. So just let me skip all that. Let me go straight to him. Let it, what else do I have to do to to earn this big fight? What else do I have to do to earn this number one contender fight? I fought everybody that they put in front of me. I beat everybody put in front of me. I went backwards fighting him. I finished him on the biggest card of the year. There's nothing else. Is there an argument, and I know the answer, but I'm saying, like, is there an argument to be made that ultimately you are a harder fight for Hamzat than Colby? You know, because you're not, because Colby, Colby, no, listen, Colby can, you know, Colby is, you know, says all the crazy stuff and does all the stupid things, but he's not, you know, he's not a terrible fighter. He's got good wrestling. He's got good conditioning. He's shown that, um, you know, but you're right. You know, you're absolutely right. He hasn't fought the the, the upper echelon of this division, and and his biggest claim to fame is he, you know, he took Camaro into deeper waters before he got knocked out the first time and then got beat the second time. But you're right. I mean, outside of that, he doesn't have those kind of fights. But now he does have legit wrestling. He was a Division One, you know, All American, you know, at, at Oregon State, and you know he does have good cardio. He has used that as a weapon in the past. But do you feel like ultimately you are the harder matchup for Hamzat as well? Yeah, I definitely do think I'm the harder harder matchup for him. I think that my striking is way better than Kobe's, and I'm comfortable being in that fire where. You know, we saw in the last fight with Hamza when he fought Gilbert Burns, when he was in that fire, he got emotional and he started going against the game plan. And he got tired. Uh, Kobe's not comfortable being in that fire. Kobe's not comfortable. All right, if I can't take you down and I have to strike with you, he's not comfortable there. Yeah, he had those wars with Kamaro, but that was before Kamaro really started being comfortable striking and standing up. And uh, I think that I just bring a different level of striking a different level of IQ to the game than all these guys. And for me to fight a guy like Hamza, I I study tape more than anybody in the game. I already know what I would do for uh, a fight like that and what I would bring to the table for a fight like that. So I already know, I already know what I need to do. So if I do get that fight, I've already been ready for that fight. I already wanted that fight so much. And I do think I'm the hardest matchup in the division for anybody. Yeah. And and listen, you know, at some point, like I said, I get the Colby, you know, I get the Colby, you know, who he is and everything, but at some point we have to move on, right? Like he didn't, he didn't seem interested in fighting Hamza when they were going to book it before. 
we haven't heard from him. He said nothing. I mean, he said no. He's made no public statements. He's made no. You know, he's not discounted. He's not say, yeah, give it to me. I want that guy. He hasn't said anything. He's been silent since the whole Masvidal thing in in, in March. Um, we got to move on at some point, right? Like we got to move on from the guy. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't he hasn't fought how long? I mean, why are you guys trying to push that one so hard? Because Kobe's gonna say stupid things at a press conference because he's gonna drug dump. Uh, I think that people would definitely want to see me and Hamza. I think that's still going to get the same amount of eyes, same amount of views. And it's a more meaningful fight for the division, I feel like, than the Kobe fight. Yeah, Kobe's going to say some outlandish stuff. He's going to get some clickbait out of it. But I don't think he's this pay-per-view draw that Conor McGregor is or Masvidal is. He's not that guy. So there's nothing to gain from really pushing that Kobe fight. Me and Hamza are on the, the only ones in the division winning right now. We're the only ones active right now. And I think we should be the ones that should be in a cage. Is there any worry about a Hamza fight, though, because of the weight thing, because of what happened with this last one? I know you said after the fight, I'll fight him at 179. But ultimately, you're a welterweight. You want the welterweight title. Um, is there any concern with that? Because, again, when when Dana said afterwards, like, maybe you should go to middleweight, I kind of agreed with him because I'm like, dude, the guy. And I think even in the Gilbert Burns fight, now he went out there and had a great fight, but. The Gilbert Burns fight, like, there's a little controversy with his weigh-in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, a little bit of that. So, like, is there any concern fighting this guy that he might come in at 175 or even 172? Every little bit of weight you have over is an advantage. It's a, it's a, it's a grueling part of the weight cut you didn't go through that you know, that he gives that he didn't go through that you do. So, is there any concern about fighting a Hamzad and and dealing with that? Uh, I think it more so. I think the his big weight problem, the last one, was more. He just didn't respect Nate Diaz enough. I don't think that. He went in there with the mindset that I'm going to walk through Nate Diaz. And, you know, once you get to that point of superstardom and, you know, cockiness, to the, or like I don't have to run that extra mile today for Nate Diaz. So I don't have to do that extra cardio, ride that bike, diet as much, take it as serious. Because, well, I mean, we don't have, that was a terrible matchup for Nate Diaz. Like, we don't have to lie about it. Uh, and it was a great matchup for Hamza. So it was more so if I'm Hamza, let me make it to fight night healthy. And so I think that he wouldn't come in there with that mindset when he's fighting a guy like me because the next one would be for the title. So you'd have to take it more serious. And I think that he would probably make weight, especially embarrassing uh, yourself that much the last fight. That if you come again missing weight that, by that much, then like you look terrible as a, as a fighter and as a professional. Yeah. And also, you know, you talk about the Colby thing, you know, him talking trash and him saying crazy things. Uh, Bilal, low-key, you're becoming one of the best trash talkers on the roster. I said this before, your Twitter game is real strong. You cracked me up today with your tweet about the Sean O'Malley and the Connor thing. I was crazy. Even Connor, Connor retweeted with a laugh. I don't know if you saw that. He responded with a laugh. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Like, you are kind of low-key becoming one of the better trash talkers. You threw Philly under the bus uh, during the press conference the other day, which I found really funny. And uh, and then you go out there and then you have some, so like I said, you may not, you're not going to go out there and say outlandish things just to get a headline and saying stupid stuff like Colby, but you are kind of low-key becoming one of the best trash talkers in this division. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I like locker room trash talk, like like that, where it's funnier, that where I don't have to talk about your mom or your family or anything like that. Like, I feel like I'm the most witty guy in the division. So like if I do get a fight like a Conor McGregor, where we are going back and forth, it would be fun. I want to have that type of fight or opponent where I can go back and forth with them. And it's not like forced. Like none of my stuff is ever forced. And I never want to be that guy where I'm selling myself just for a buck where, you know, I get out of character. I get out of, uh, you know, losing my self-respect. So a lot of my stuff is just fun. And I do think, like you said, I think I'm one of the best guys at it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quick before I get you out of here, I know that, again, nothing is settled, nothing is done. Uh, but again, where you're at right now, you have to be one fight away from a title fight. Can I imagine at this point there's no more fighting down? It has to be fighting up. And when I say that, I mean, like, if you look at the rankings, the only guys you could fight right now are Hamzat or Colby. Now, Colby's a fight you've wanted forever. And again, I'm kind of pulling him out of the equation because we just don't know what's going on with him. But Hamzat is the fight. But like, no, and I and I mean this, I have the utmost respect for Gilbert. I love Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is a monster. Uh, and there's other guys who are monsters. But at this point, is it about fighting up? Like, it has to be like a number one contender's fight. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think that I earned it. Like I said, I, I took this fight and uh, I didn't have to. So I feel like the hope the UFC rewards me for it. And like, I'm only looking upward now. Like, I'm blind to anything underneath me. Yeah. And can I ask your opinion? Because again, you could be getting the winner. Leon Usman two or Usman three, I guess it would technically be. Uh, we don't know for sure it's going to happen, but it seems like it's going to happen. Can I ask your opinion on that one? Who you see coming out on top? Uh, yeah. I mean, I do think the way the first fight or the second fight was going, I thought that Usman had a clear path to victory and 30 seconds. He would have won. <clears throat> I do think that obviously Leon's going to come out here with probably a better game plan, uh, better cardio maybe, but I just think that Usman's a bad matchup for him. I think that anybody with that type of wrestling and pressure is a terrible matchup for Leon. So I'm going to give it definitely to Usman. But either way, like I said, it's a win-win because I know Usman's a guy you wanted to fight for the magnitude of it because Usman was a great champion. And listen, you still have a little unfinished business with Leon. So again, it's a win-win for you. Yeah, exactly. Either one of those guys, I'll take it. I wanted to be the first guy to beat Usman, uh, but I'll definitely be able to be happy with beating him for the title uh, if he gets it. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm pushing for it. You and Hamzat in March, that's what needs to be. I don't know what your timeline is for fighting again, but if they want to do March, I assume that would be okay with you. Uh, maybe get on the same card as Usman and, and Edwards three. I think that would be the make, make the most sense, put you in. And also, can I say whether it's main event, co-main event, five rounds, it's gotta be five rounds, right? You and Hamza, it's gotta be five rounds. Like they've done it for other fights that are non-title fights. You gotta do it. Not, you gotta do a, a five round fight with Hamzat. Yeah, it has to be. I feel like to, with the magnitude of it, the, the number one contendership on the line, five rounds makes the most sense. Absolutely. Well, Bilal, I appreciate the time as always. Congratulations on another amazing win. As I said, remember the name is a great nickname, but put some damn respect on your name as a, as a, as a secondary nickname I'll give you. Uh, congratulations again on the win, and thank you as always for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.